0: Ezra in chapter 9. Father, help us to see that the truths of your word still stand. And would you speak to our hearts today? Would you clear away the distractions? Would you help us to see clearly what you're saying to us through your word? Help your servant as I speak to speak words from you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Can, can you remember a time when studying the Bible provoked you in some way? Pang of conscience, moment of clarity as the words you read just made sense of something. Maybe a wave of gratitude, an uncomfortable flinch, reassuring comfort, a timely nudge. Ezra's arrival in Jerusalem to teach the law of God to the people of God was bound to have an impact, wasn't it? The Word of God provokes and has an impact. And less than half a year in is where chapter 9 picks up. Half a year in. And we read that that reform was stirring in the leaders. The exposure to God's laws. No doubt as Ezra opened them up and taught systematically during these few months meant a new recognition among the people. Maybe like light bulbs going off in their minds and hearts all over Judah as they recognized very, very serious spiritual problems. Well, that's what's going on in Ezra 9. And as we look at this chapter, you're going to see that the spiritual problem is sin. Sin that has been uncovered as God's Word is taught. And so... Far more important than seeing an extraordinary prayer in these verses, although there is an extraordinary prayer, more important than that is learning about and really seeing the destructive and devastating impact of sin. And so, Ezra steps forward as our summer school teacher on this darkest, most sobering of topics. Now, I want to reassure you, Yes, sin is definitely on the syllabus here. But you see, a robust understanding of sin will provide us with a platform to better understand almighty God and his response to people who are painfully embroiled in sin and reeling from it. And there's something else too, this will reassure you. With all of this will come a loving prompt, a nudge, From God's powerful word, like those people hearing it in the day of Ezra. A nudge to be part of a community of people who are going to get to experience God's wonderful mercy and stunning grace as both individuals and as as leaders, but also all of us together in this gathering. So there's a lot going on here, but here's where we're headed. Now, you might have spotted something at the start of chapter 9. There's a really direct way, verse 1 of chapter 9, in which the leaders come to Ezra and lay out the problem that they've just recognized as God's word has been taught and his laws uncovered. You see, it's really direct. No rumor, no drip-fed statements, no blame shifting, no reluctant disclosures here. There's a simple upfrontness in chapter 9, verse 1. Look at verse 1. After these things had been done, the officials, the leaders, approached Ezra, approached me and said, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with their abominations. And of course, there follows a list of all the non-Israelite groups. The problem you see is the fact that the people of Israel going against what God's law had warned about we're marrying wives from these groups, leading to a mixing with the peoples of the land. Now, here's something important. It's important to note that this is not a problem. It's not an issue of race that's going on here. Think about it. Some of the most prominent people in the Old Testament were outsiders. Ruth, of whom there's a whole book named after in the Old Testament, Ruth was from Moab. Moab. She was a Moabitess. See, the issue is not that God's law is against the mixing of race. That's not what's happening. Rather, it's an issue of spiritual purity that's at stake. And you see, disastrously, some of the officials and the chief men were told here were leading people on this, and many followed them to link up. And think about marriage. On the deepest way possible, linking up getting married to people who had no interest in God's laws or God's covenant. People who, because of their own religious loyalties, were doing what verse 1 calls their abominations, detestable things. And this is called out, did you notice the language? Faithlessness, middle of verse 2. That's what's going on, faithlessness. So the issue here is the fact that the sin of intermarriage Sets the people on a course away from the Lord. Think of a road headed in one direction, and I'm thinking of one of the motorways out of Dublin. And there comes a point where there are now two ways. There's a Y in the motorway. Have you ever been on the wrong side of that Y? You have to sort of nudge yourself over just in time. Well, it's a little bit like that a Y on the motorway of life. Intermarriage is so serious because it redirected people away from God, away from His covenant on a completely different road. And that will lead them eventually to all-out abandonment of God the Lord, forsaking all his law and covenant. You see, that's what's at stake here, isn't it? And if that language being used, abomination, faithlessness, if that doesn't alert us to the um, seriousness of sin, Ezra's reaction should. Pick this up from verse 3. Have a look at Ezra's reaction. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the, of the God of Israel, because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles, gathered round me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. Sin is serious. And to pick up on a word used twice here, sin is appalling awful. And like Ezra, sometimes sin makes us stop in our tracks. It should make us hit the pause button. It's awful. Now, many of you, like me, I'm sure, might sometimes tend to associate being appalled. You know, did you read that word. It's, we sometimes think of that as something old-fashioned, a bit like an over-the-top complaint letter. I was appalled. But that's not what's happening here. There's nothing pretentious here. Rather, there's a genuine, grieving, upset at sin that has caused and will cause the most catastrophic harm to people at the deepest possible level, leading them away from their Lord. It's really worth a pause, isn't it? Worth pausing often to allow God's Word as we read it. And that's what happens every time. God's Word, as we study it, framing and shaping our reactions to the things that are going on around us, the things we're doing. Now the rest of chapter 9, after Ezra sits down appalled and takes this pause, the rest of this chapter is the response prayer from God's man in Jerusalem. And here's what we're going to do for a few minutes. We're going to track with three movements in Ezra's prayer and what we can learn from those three movements. Three movements and what we can learn So let's pick up the prayer from verse 6. This is Ezra's prayer. Oh, my God, I'm ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. And for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given into the hands of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame as it is today. What a reaction. Ezra is recognizing with really striking imagery just how serious sin is. Did you notice that phrase? Verse 6, higher than our heads. Now I know, and you know, if the water's higher than my head, I'm in trouble, I'm in big trouble. Our guilt though is higher, look, our guilt, verse six, has mounted up to the heavens. So sin is big, it's bigger than us. Iniquities, guilt, these words are repeated over and over again here, describing sin and its impact. And confronted with some of the leaders and their intermarriage, Ezra speaks openly in this prayer to God about the scale and devastation brought about by sin. You know, when news of a big disaster hits the headlines, breaking news, there's a new disaster and it's awful. But sometimes it's not until one of the reporters on the ground, one of the news correspondents reports in detail from that scene in a report that describes the full magnitude, perhaps with pictures behind him or her, with what's going on, that the full scale is revealed. Well, you see, that's Ezra here, isn't it? He's describing openly before God and allowing all those people who had gathered verse four to listen in on the devastation created by sin. We're listening too. That's what Ezra's doing. He's letting people see the full magnitude. My studies recently in Ireland have shown that people in 2023 are turning off the news. Why? Well, they're sick of all the negative stuff. Pandemic weary, but they're also economic woes weary. Cost of living crisis weary. And so people have turned off the news. They've stopped listening. Are we in danger of a similar tune-out, do you reckon, when sin is described and the Bible explains its impact? Someone like Ezra prays like this. Or are we learning to describe or to grasp the seriousness of sin as it's described? Are we learning to grasp the seriousness of our sin? Verses 6 and 7. Well, that's the challenge, isn't it? The people in Ezra's day, as we've seen, they were in great guilt. They had allowed sin cultivated and festered in those links with people who had no care for God's covenant with the Lord, sin that resulted in their exile, captivity. Now, here's the difference, right? We live on the other side of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a new covenant. Yet sin is still serious, isn't it? Its impact is still absolutely devastating. You see, by default, sin still enslaves people. And at the very least, as Christians, here in Blackrock, we must learn that living in the world and perhaps forging life-defining links with people who have no interest in Christ is sin. And will lead us away from Christ. Will lead us away from life. And you know that will affect our children too. It will scatter our church. It will weaken the proclamation of the gospel. Are we learning to see the seriousness of our sin? Think about it. Anyone or anything that we give our lives and loves to. At the intensity set above the devotion we have for Christ will lead us back to slavery. That's the warning here. Is it your work? Is that the thing that's got you? Is it your relationships? The devotions of your life that you crave for and long for? Are we learning to grasp the seriousness of our sin? That's what's before us. Have you, like Ezra, thought long and hard of where sin will lead you? That's the kind of insight, isn't it, that Ezra's giving us As he prays. That's the first movement. Now, in this prayer, Ezra's second movement should help us learn too. Look from verse 8. But now, but now, for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within his holy place that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. Even the way that movement in the prayer um, comes about, even that, the way he speaks is telling, isn't it? But now, Ezra starts to describe the gracious moves of God towards his people. Um, remember, these are people so bogged down in their sin, yet in a really beautiful description, Ezra describes God favor shown by the Lord our God, a remnant, a secure hold within this place, that temple in Jerusalem. And the description that follows is amazing. Did you notice that little phrase, that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery? God's word open. We have a lot to learn, haven't we? Are we learning to recognize the character, secondly, of our God? Learning, yes, to see the seriousness of our sin, but are we learning to recognize the character of our God? Verses 8 and 9. You see, that is God graciously taking the initiative towards sin-wrecked people, the makers of their own desperate captivity, yet God steps in. Look, verse 9, I think, is worth memorizing, particularly the start of it. Have a look. For we are slaves, yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery but has extended to us his steadfast love. Slaves in exile, but not abandoned. And the book of Ezra, we've seen this, haven't we? Time and again has shown God's providential love through the kings of Persia, helping the people. And God had given them reviving life. Rest of verse 9. Look at the rest of it. To set up the house of our God, to repair its ruins, and to give us protection. In Judea and Jerusalem. You can see Ezra's praying such a contrast here, isn't he? At the same time teaching us that sin is so desperately enslaving, but the grace, love, and provision of God extended towards his people is absolutely wonderful. Their rescue, their return from exile, their new exposure to his laws, all God's gracious initiative. What a prayer! You see, in this episode recorded here in Ezra, we're getting the chance to learn again about God and his character, all set against that black backdrop of the sin we keep going back towards. For Ezra, though, look from verse 10 onwards, because you see, there's a description here of the reflection on the way the people Despite that history of of exile and return, they were back in Jerusalem. But what are they doing again? They're disobeying God. And to make it worse, their disobedience is the same thing again. Intermarriage. The very thing that led them to exile in the first place is the same thing that they're up to this time. God's laws were clear. And so Ezra prays and admits it now in his prayer And yet the people still go their own way. It's quite a remarkable prayer, isn't it? God rescued people from slavery. He gave them that remnant, Jerusalem. He protected them, provided for them. And yet off they go again. Same sin. Look how he concludes. Look at verse 15. Our God, the God of Israel, you are just For we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt. For none can stand before you because of this. Remarkably, Ezra simply lays out what he knows to be true of God's character. God's justice. You are just, verse 15 says. And yet his mercy that he's already talked about. And then he takes the sin of the people as he prays, and he lays it out before God. So this third movement in Ezra's prayer is teaching us something really important. Isn't there a profound tension in the Bible between the justice of God? Sin must be punished. None can stand before him, verse 15, because of this. And yet there's the mercy of God. God does not treat us as our sins deserve. What a tension. God is just. And yet, even through their history, God has shown that he does not treat people as their sins deserve. So are we getting this? Are we understanding that tension between God's justice and God's mercy? Verses 10 to 15. Are we getting it? So Ezra, hands spread out to God, prays, more than a few words or a few phrases of an apology. You see, this isn't a rote prayer that he took out of his pocket. Oh, I better pray. Sorry, God, again. This isn't a rote prayer. These aren't empty words. He simply and humbly prays what he knows to be true of God as he approaches God on behalf of the people. And did you notice he doesn't make any requests here? He doesn't say, forgive us, Lord. Lord, what are you? he doesn't ask God for anything. It's, it's really striking, isn't he? All we are left with is tension. Ezra praying for his people, leaving all the people's sin and desperate situation with God and his justice and his mercy. Led by Ezra, who had taught God's word to them, God's laws, the people were in sin over their heads, in guilt up to the heavens. But they have to wait on God's mercy. They must wait on God's response. And as we read Ezra's prayer together at church, as we feel that tension between God's justice and God's mercy, how will we respond? How will you respond? See, we have the privilege, haven't we, of seeing God's definitive response at the cross. Because it's in Christ And we sang this in the very first song. In Christ, that God's justice and mercy meet at the cross. The final chapter had not been written for Ezra's people back in those days, but we have it in our hands. It's right there in your hand right now. You have the final chapter. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian confronted with sin up to and over your head, confronted with your own guilt beyond your escape, you have seen, if you're a Christian, and responded to God's initiative, sending his son to rescue you. The helicopter arrived and plucked you out. Now, If you're not a Christian, today the Bible is prompting you not to minimize sin or shrug it off or explain it away, but to see it. It's serious. And then at the same time, see God's amazing character and his definitive response of rescue through the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see that if you're not a Christian? That's the prompt from God's Word to you today. And then all of us together, let's more and more move to be fully part of this community of people who get to experience God's stunning grace, yes, as individuals, but together. That's church. That's Black Rock. That's what we're doing together week by week, month by month, year by year, experiencing God's stunning grace. Yes, individually, but together as a church. That's why we come and join and keep coming and keep listening and keep serving. And you know, this place mightn't be where all your friends are. And it's certainly not perfect. But here together with the Bible open is where we will see time and again and be reminded from God's word That sin is so desperately in saving. But God. Amazing isn't it? Here's where we'll understand and be reminded of God's character together. As we pray and listen. And live all this out in community. God took the initiative. Out of his steadfast love and mercy. As he satisfied his justice. He graciously gave Christ to die for us. Saving us from sin restoring us to him. I keep saying this, but we've seen that this summer is a time to enroll. Serious, deep study of God's word. You see, it will have an impact on you week by week, and maybe you don't notice it at the start, but after months and years, you'll start to see it. It'll drive us to humble prayer, like Ezra, prayers of repentance, deeper understanding of sin, rekindled fires of life, and obedience, all as we see the amazing grace of God in Christ. Come with us.